Welcome to podcast number two of Bass Talk with Hagen and Hayes. Today's topic is the music of Giovanni Bottasini. So, Susan Hagen, what was the first piece by Bottasini you ever played? Well, David Hayes, how you doing today? <laughs> Very well, thank you. And you? <laughs> Good, thank you. The first piece I ever played was what I thought was his only elegy. Mm. Um, it turns out it's his third elegy. And I didn't realize, no, it was the first of three. Yes, yeah, number one. Yeah. And uh, I had no idea until maybe just a few years ago that there were three. And I loved it. Of course, I was, I'm going to blame youth. I wasn't that young. But when I first heard elegy, I thought it was allergy. And I thought, this is so cool. He has allergies <laughs> just like I do. And then I saw it printed and I said, oh, elegy. That is not the same thing, which is a little embarrassing. And now everybody knows. Um, <laughs> but I loved it. And, and I really was excited to play it because I had gone to a master class um, at, at a school in Brookline that my eventually to be teacher Ed Barker was giving. Huh. My current teacher at the time had said to me, you've got to go hear this. This is going to be amazing. And a fellow that I didn't know, but I eventually would become good friends with in Boston, played the second concerto. And it was the first time I'd heard that. First thing I'd ever heard by Bonacini. And I had gone with my best friend and she and I were sitting there. And at the end, I just grabbed her arm and I said, I cannot die until I get to play this piece. <laughs> so that week I went to my teacher and I said, I know I'm not ready for this, but how do I deal with this? I have to play some Bottasini. So she gave me the elegy um, and I loved it. It was beautiful. It's, it's such a lovely piece. And it has a lot of what I call, when I teach it to my students, some of the classic Bottasini party tricks. Yes. Um, you know, it's just his beautiful writing and lots of harmonics and things all over the fingerboard. And, oh, I just, it was such a blast. Now, what about you? What was the first piece you played? Surprisingly, the elegy, the first elegy. Oh, it, my gosh. I think at the time, this was um, towards the end of the 1970s. There really wasn't much published, really. It was really quite difficult to get hold of the music. So I had this Italian edition, and the bass part was written at pitch, yes. which made it twice as hard to learn, because I, you then had to read it up an octave as well. But the I... first scene I ever played was some studies. Um, I had to play in an exam, and some of these studies were set repertoire. And there was a, a bass player here in the 50s called H. Samuel Sterling. And he, oh, he yes. One, yeah, he did the, the Bach Suites. Yeah, we play that those versions of the box suites all over the time here. I have a lot of respect for him because it's amazingly he he found keys that work for all six. And how yes. many hours must he have spent? And those he found a major publisher to publish them. So they've been in print for I think seventy years or something. It's amazing. So he yes. he done this this book of Bottasini studies on the method. So I'd, I'd started learning some of those. But the first solo piece was the Elegy. And I've loved it ever since. The piece I've played the most of Bottasini, I've played it with piano, I've played it in orchestral tuning, solo tuning, I've played it with string quartet, I've played it with orchestra. Um, it's just fantastic. And it's a piece I love to teach because yeah. I would say this is your first easy virtuoso piece. Yes. This, this is why you practice. This is why we spend all the hours talking about technique and bowing and where the bow sits on the string and which part of bow you plan, because everything in this piece includes all those plus music. Yes. And it, it's great. And I, 
we've talked many times about I, I say to all my students, tell me five things about Botticelli. Right. So that when they play, they have some idea who he was, something know something about the piece. Because it, you just know you, you played in a concert and somebody comes up afterwards and asks you something about Botticelli and you know nothing about him and you look right. such an idiot. So I, I just <laughs> make sure they, they, they do this. And it is such a, a fantastic teaching piece, as as you know. It's, yeah. it's just, and it, and audiences love it. I, years do. ago, I, I used to play, uh, play for a little choir, and at Christmas they had a Christmas concert, and it was much lighter music. And they had piano, bass, and drums because they had a sort of Christmas cantata. In the first half, it's solos, and they, it was so funny. They, they said to me, "Could I play something funny?" Because I was a bass player, obviously. <laughs> Could I play something funny. And I said, no, no, I can't play anything funny. I can play something good. There you go. And I know with Botticini Elegy, um, it doesn't matter how bad the pianist is, I can still play it. Because that's the other thing. You don't know the pianist. Right. Um, so we did this. And I started rehearsing. And there was so much noise going on and people talking, whatever. And within about, about four bars, four measures, it went silent. Mm-hmm. And everybody was listening. Because they were expecting me to play The Elephant. Or something, right. something funny, and yes. uh, suddenly I was able to sing on the bass, yeah. and and that piece I think breaks down so many barriers, really. Yes. It does, it does, and I. So this is the first Botticini piece that you tend to teach students, mm. also. Me too. Yeah. And the Me Reverie too. is 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 there as well. It's it's yes. a diff- it's a different. The difficulties are different with the Reverie. Yes. It's, um, but they're both fantastic pieces. The Elegy. Um, because it is originally a bass piece, so it fits much better. The the Reverie, I think, was a cello piece and a song. Um, so it doesn't quite fit as well, but it's still a glorious piece. Yeah, that's the second piece that I'll usually teach, but I'll do the elegy first. And yes. one of the things I, I sort of joke about with my students, they know I'm only half kidding, is, you know, I, I explain an elegy is a musical eulogy and, and what that would mean. And, and I always hope that they've never been through losing a loved one but you know by the time i have my students in college they usually Mm. have and i say to them i'm part italian Botticini was italian so i'm gonna just tell you right now all the stages of grief are in this Mm. there's the sadness there are moments of remembering the funny times so there's a little laughter there's anger there's there's all of it and at the end there's just that resignation to this person is gone and I, I said to them, you want not just no dry, dry eyes left in the house. I said, you want everyone at the end to be exhausted because of the emotional roller coaster you've taken them on. And, and they laugh. And then I, I show them where I think the different stages of grief are and yes. what they are in the piece. And I say, you can come up with your own version of it, but you've got to bring us through. So they've got, like you said, they've got the technique is required. And then the musicality. Yes. All of it, the the big picture, the small microcosms within, and I I love teaching this piece, and I love the little harmonics at the end of the fingerboard. I love when they get it, because everything just comes together, and I, every every time a student finally gets that passage, I feel like it's not just a weight has been lifted off their shoulders, but they look at me like I get the bass now I know where all this stuff is and yeah. oh it's just so much fun and to hear the bass sing that way is great it was funny with those harmonics it's, I always say to my students because you play it twice mm-hmm. so if, if you get it right the first time 
you then have to try and get it right the second time. You can get it wrong the first time. You have a second shot. Wow, yes. So it's, it's amazing. But I tell them that too. <laughs> it's, it's such a good piece. It just yes. teaches everything. And, you know, I, one of the things I always tell them is that Botticini spent much of his life in the opera house. So right. everything he writes is operatic. So it's yes. all about singing. It's about phrasing and how to shape a phrase and how to colour the different phrases. And it, it's such a good piece. And I think students play better with that piece than, than almost yes. than they can because yes. it's such a good piece. It really pushes every every ounce of, of what they're trying to achieve as a bass player. It's really good. And you were saying about you didn't know there were three elegies. No, had no well, clue. I also didn't know he had written the method books, you know, yeah, the books of etudes. The amazing thing about the, the elegies was um, the third one was published, but under the title Melody. So that was published oh. in France. So okay. none of us knew it was, it was elegy number three. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the second elegy also had a second title, Romanza Dramatica. Mm. So it's it's I've, I've gone back to elegy number one, elegy two, three in my publications, and then with the additional title. That's so smart. That's but they are fantastic, smart. and each one is totally different. I, I, I learned the the third one because my teacher Panjjet Koshta had recorded mm. that one, and I played that in my final recital at the Royal College of Music. Um, and it, it was it was amazing. I heard him play it um, the Isle of Man competition in nineteen. 82 and I, I was just a student then at Royal College of Music and Sarah and I were there we were walking on the clifftop one day and we saw Franchette Poshta walking the other way uh, towards us and he said oh, I've got a, re a rehearsal at four o'clock if you want to come and hear mm -hmm. I thought wow yeah we'd love to and so we, I was I don't know four feet away from this great player Amazing. I never heard playing like it it, it was yeah. impeccable the, the sound was stunning the phrasing was fantastic the intonation was amazing. It was just, and he was playing on a borrowed bass. That was the other thing. That's amazing. Unbelievable. And I, I just remembered, it was like a, a turning point in my life, really, because I'd heard lots of, of, of great players, but maybe this was, this was talking to me differently. This was saying something different to me, um, right. and, and that's why I, I wanted to study with him because it was, it was, it was all technique, but at the the service of music. Yes. Um, you have to hide your technique. Music is first. Right, right. And I think that's partially because of all of it. And one of the things I love about Botticini is everything is so vocal. Mm. And, you know, it's the music first. But mm. it's it's fun to play because you really try to make the double bass sound like a voice. Yes. And, and when you do it right, everything just resonates just so beautifully. And that's mm. one of the things I love about I think that might be why I love Botticini's music so much. Is it so vocal? It's got all of these singing qualities at all times. It's just amazing. And I, I'll say to my students now, I'll explain that he wrote operas, he conducted operas, it was, you know, friends with Verdi on all of this. And, and I'll say, now imagine, because this is one of the, I think the coolest things about Botticini is, you know, at intermission of an opera, yeah. he'd just pick up his bass and play an aria that he's created from something within the opera yeah. and it's just i mean that's to me something beyond any capability i would ever have to just come up with these beautiful pieces but i think it's really good my students at berkeley understand the idea of like mm -hmm. he might have improvised this from an aria he heard a few minutes ago and yes. they get that because they can do that that improvisational yes. yeah. stuff so it's very cool 
And I, how, I yeah. also tell my students as well, you know, uh, one of mine is just playing the, the Grand Allegro, mm. um, which is, is an amazing piece. But I think Boston is probably greatest piece. And even now, audiences are astounded by what the bass can do. And I said, yeah. imagine in 1870, how right. it must have sounded. It must yeah. have been like a complete revolution. It's like he's from Mars or something. Right. He was the only one doing this. I'm sure there weren't many others of no. this level. And, yeah. and he was just a superstar of his day. He was absolutely amazing. And the music has survived. And it was a, it's always because, you know, there's a reason why it survived. Maybe it's because it's quite good. <laughs> it is quite good. It could, it could I, be that. <laughs> I remember when I got to college, I said to my teacher, I, I know I'm not ready, but I want to be ready soon. I have to play that second concerto. I just, I need to do it. And he looked at me and he sort of, I could see him assessing. And he said, well, if you practice really hard, you can do the Grand Duo Concertante. My sister is a violinist and she was yes. in school with me. So I worked really, really hard. And before I got to play the concerto, I did the Grand Duo with wow. her. And it was great. We did it on her recital at school. We did it on my recital at school. Then we got to do it with an orchestra mm -hmm. um, that was, you know, in the Boston area. And then a few, I just saw a memory on Facebook that 10 years ago this summer, we did it with the Harvard University Summer School Orchestra. Right. And it is such a fun piece. Right. Um, it's just, and it, of course, getting to play it with my own sister was, was also super fun. But I remember thinking, if this is what my teacher thinks is the booby prize, yes. because he didn't think I was quite ready for the concerto yet, what a prize. That was amazing. <laughs> I, you know, I bought a copy of the Grand Duo when I was at school mm. and I can remember, you know, occasionally I'd get the music out on the music stand and I'd try and play, I, mean, I couldn't play one note, you know, because when your technique <laughs> isn't up into thumb position, you don't know how to play okay. any of this. And then once I got to the level where I could play it, I remember, and I, I, I always played it from memory, and I remember, and I, I haven't got a photographic memory, but I can see where I am on the page, which page yes. I'm on. And I know where the page turns are and all these things. Right. I remember this is about 16 pages and playing it with um, great violinist and with orchestra and just how quickly these pages just flew by. Oh, I was yeah. absolutely astounded at how quickly it went. Yes. But once you get to a certain level, lots of these Botticini things, all the tricks mm -hmm. keep mm -hmm. coming back. Oh, and yeah. I think. And, and uh, the Grand Duo always really annoys violinists because <laughs> um, you're not spilled be able to play anything as a bass player you should just be playing in half position and playing the elephant right. and, and the audiences can see what you're doing on a violin you're expected to play 32 notes per bow right we're not expected to, to fly around the bass no but it's amazing how the bass player always gets to shine more oh, than so the violin it's true and i'm so glad that i played it with my sister because there were there were two main things that I recall from from that experience is the first one, she stopped in the middle of a rehearsal. And she looked at me, she said, Are you playing higher than I am? Is that even allowed? <laughs> and and the other one was every time we've performed it, you know, people come backstage to meet the soloists. And I feel a little bad because people tend to come to the bass player because they're just amazed that, you know, we've got almost four feet of strings oh. that we've been covering through this whole concerto all over the place. And they look at the violin and they're like, oh, oh, wonderful job. You, you played great. But they have a million questions for, for the bass player. And I thought, thank God this is my sister because <laughs> she knows me. She loves me. I think she'll forgive me. 
I've had exactly the same, exactly the same. After every concert we've done the Grand Duo, they always come to me. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, I'm always the one who introduces the concert. And I'll always introduce the piece. I'll always say something funny and get them laughing. And that's that one good. helps. But yes. also people expect a violinist to be good. Right. They don't, they don't expect the bass player to be flying around the, the bass with all these harmonics. But I, the, I, I think it's one of my favourite Bottasini pieces. I, I think mm -hmm. for performing. But I think as, as the, the best piece, I think is the, the Grand Allegro, which I think is stuck. Except that our accompanists at Wells, they... They're really annoyed with it. He's taken so much of, of the Mendelssohn violin concerto. <laughs> it's called the Bottasini. <laughs> I think that's what's great about it. You know, your story about the the duo reminds me of when I was performing it. I was not memorizing it, mm. um, but I we were in a rehearsal of. I guess it was a lesson with my teacher and, and Jody and I. My sister and I were both playing. And we got through and he stopped us somewhere. He said, okay, the part where it goes like this. And I started flipping my pages. Yes. And he said, wait a second, are you not using the music? I said, well, I mean, I have it here, but there's so many page turns that really, I once I get past like the first four pages, I'm kind of good. I don't, I don't really need it. And there's not a lot of time to turn the page with the addition that we had. Yeah. And he looked at me like I was nuts, but I, like you said, the pages just go flying by. So it's better to not have to turn all of them. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I've loved doing it. I've, I've done it with orchestra. I've done it with piano. I've done it with string quartets as so well. I mean, it works yeah. so well. And just, it's such an audience piece, isn't it? It is. They love it. He, they love it. He was a real showman, Botticini. Oh, he knew yeah. how to get the, the audience on his side. He did. And I think maybe the reason why we both learned that first elegy first and we teach it first that to me gives you almost all the tools that you need to play any of his other pieces they you know i will point out oh this is in his first concerto this is in his second concerto this is in the grand duo it's really really neat and i thought it was fascinating that i didn't know about the reverie until yeah. i was in my 20s and it was i was told about it by a tuba player Yes. And he said to me, so I hear you, you're practicing the concerto. What, what are you going to do? I was performing it with an orchestra. He said, yeah. what are you going to do as an encore? I was like, I don't know, an encore? Like, is anyone even going to want to need to hear more? <laughs> um, and he said to me, what about the reverie? Mm. And I was, I was like, well, what reverie? What are you talking about? So I hunted it down mm. and I found, I thought, oh, this is beautiful. And I found uh, string parts. Mm. And I had the orchestra play it with me oh, that's fantastic. as as an encore. And it was really funny because some, as always happens, some older man in the audience came up afterwards as you're as a female bass player, you always get a couple of older <laughs> men, sometimes a little creepy, sometimes totally not creepy at all. This one guy came up and he grabbed my arm and he said, this reverie, I know you had someone on your mind when you were playing it. <laughs> Tell me the story. And I thought, no way, Creeper, I don't even know you. But instead I said to him, well, I did just tell you the story through my bass. Yes. And I kind of just squirmed out of his grip and moved on to the next person in the line. But um, the, the pieces are so great. Now tell me about the second concerto. That one, I, the first edition I had was, um by Rudolf Malerich. Uh, oh, mine too. Yeah, and it had, I think, many mistakes, all hand copied, yeah. wasn't yes. it? And, yes, yes. Um, and I, I, again, I bought that at school. 
Mm, me too. And the first the first movement I always teach from that one is the, the slow movement. Because it's yes. such a good piece. It's the first um, movement I learned from that piece too. And in 1989, I went over to Belfast and we did a Bodicini concert at Belfast University. Oh, nice. And it's with Little Chamber Orchestra and Sarah sang and I played. And my great friend, Mark Gibson, he was a neurologist, but really fantastic mm. bass player. And he organized the concert. So we did the Passione and I orchestrated it with the orchestra. And I did nice. the Elegy and we did, I think, Boucher May. And, mm. um, and I, I did the, the third movement of the second concerto, the first time I played it. Mm. And it was, oh, wow, what a great piece. So much fun, that movement. But the cadenza in that, that first movement, I think is probably the best bass cadenza ever written. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I just yes. absolutely love it. And I I think it's called the second concerto because it was published second. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not sure it is. It, it, it had on the, the manuscripts, it, often it's, it's called concertino rather than concerto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also in two keys. It's in B minor, which is for solo tuning, but also in C minor, because sometimes Bottasini used the minor third tuning. Mm. Um, so it, it's, I'm not sure it is a second concerto. Um, and he didn't mm. very often um, date his manuscripts. So we don't know when they were written. Right. And uh. also then they're, they're often with two or three different editions or versions, right. because right. maybe, you know, he went on tour, forgot to take it. So just rewrote it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> the Just the skills. <laughs> I, I, I once read a fantastic book about, I think it's Mozart Letters, been mm -hmm. translated into English. And there's one fantastic letter, and he's it, it, it gone somewhere, and he said, I'd forgotten to bring a piano concerto, so I wrote one. And you just <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> you can't believe it. And oh, I, I, I bet he, the facility was there, and I bet he, oh, yeah. he just sat down and wrote it. Yeah. Wow, well, amazing. Well, I think you could do that, though. <laughs> I don't think I could, but thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you um, for your uh, support. No, I have faith that if it was needed, you'd be able to do it. But that, that second concerto, I'll tell you, when I finally got to start learning it in school, I was so excited. I used the same edition that you use. Yes. Um, and I found it a little bit hard to read. I didn't mind the transposing an octave. That didn't bother me at all. But it was handwritten and kind of small. Yes. So I went down to like the local photocopy place and I, I blew it up huge. I mean, like, like probably 10 by 15 inches oh. on thick, thick, thick cardstock. Yes. And I brought it into my lesson and, and Ed Barker said to me, he sort of took a step back. He looked like I'd given him an electric shock. And he said, well, what is, what is this? I said, well, this is the Bodicini. Um, I have really good eyesight. That's the one, the one of my gifts that I have. I have many gimpy other things, like I referenced allergies and stuff. But I, I said to him, although my eyesight is great, it's small, and I know you're going to give me bowings and phrasings and fingerings, and there's nowhere to put them. So yes. I, I had blown the part up. So I still, I still have that, and it's the most marked up, disgusting thing you could ever see. It. My students have trademarked it my disgustingly marked up copy when I send really? you the music. Um, I don't even look at it anymore, but it's it's there in case of, you know, necessity if I, if I ever need it for a reason. Um, I was so excited to get to play it. And mm -hmm. I started with that second movement. Yes. And oh, I thought, oh, that was so great. And then a first movement, which for American orchestras is going to be on like every audition ever. And so I knew yes. I had to learn it well. 
and I had the recital for for school coming up. It was looming, and so I learned the third movement, and I remember feeling like I'd sort of just slammed it together. I knew it wasn't as good as it needed to be, but it was learned, and I was I was okay with that. Then I've since performed it with, I think, seven different orchestras. Wow. And each, it's really fun. And each time I play it, I fall in love with that third movement even more. Yes. And I've decided I have a storyline. Are you ready for this? This is so bad. <laughs> so that third movement to me is a carnival. Right. And I don't know if you've ever read the book or seen the movie Charlotte's Web. Yes. But there's, okay, so the, the rat, yeah. Templeton. Yeah. The bass player is the rat. He's mm. running around and doing everything and getting into, you know, dancing and eating and all of these things. So it's, I call it the adventures of Templeton. But <laughs> when I play it, one of the things I love to do with the orchestra, and they think I'm doing it to make their lives easier, but yes. I'm really not. I say to them, you just play steadily through the whole movement. I, I will skirt in and out. I will line up with you with all the important stuff. It will never sound chaotic, but I am very free in that movement, which people who know me know that I'm usually strict tempo lady. Like yes. I sit yeah. there with a metronome clicking the whole time. And this movement is so much fun because I feel like I get to dance around that a little bit. I try to keep yes. it tasteful, but it's really fun. I try to keep it tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not I'm not sure it is but <laughs> it's really fun and you know as much as I love that first movement and I teach that movement a ton the second movement a ton um I think I love that third movement the most it's really exciting and fun when I yeah I played the, the third movement with orchestra and then I played the second movement with orchestra mm -hmm. and finally I've only ever played it once with orchestra I played many many concertos but this Concert I've only ever played once mm -hmm. with orchestra, um, and the first I love the first movement. That's beautiful because I think that's what bass playing is all about in that oh, movement. Absolutely, and I um, think that's why it's on auditions. Yes, it's, can it, you sing through the bass? Yeah, and it's about pure technique. It's it's really using the yeah. entire range, and yes. you just think, wow, Bottasini was such a star, just a superstar. Brilliant, really to to just write all these fantastic pieces, which are still the very heart of the repertoire today. Yes, yeah, still pieces that people strive for. Every every semester at Berkeley, at least three or four of my private students will come to me and say, I want to play something by Bottasini, anything yes. by Bottasini. Yeah. Um, about 10 years ago, I discovered, I thought it was so brilliant, the, the books of etudes that he wrote. Yeah. Um, and so those are a little bit of a booby prize for the students who just aren't quite ready. But there are some of those that are quite lyrical. I think you transcribed one of them in one of your collections of music too, um, the Andante Cantabile. Um, oh, that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was just a, um, a study from the, the method. Yeah. I, I changed the key, I, I can't remember. Yes, you did. It's beautiful. The key that you put it in, it lies beautifully on the instrument. My students love it. So when was they it come one of the bass clef books? It was one of the bass clef. I think it's the yeah. first unaccompanied bass clef book. I, I, yeah, I, 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 there was one study which my one of my teachers always loved. And, and when I played it, he wrote soulful at the top mm. of the thing. And he said, you, you know, you could play this in a concert. You get a piano accompaniment. And I always remember that, you know, this is 40 years later. And it, I still remember, I think it was that one. Um, yeah, it's and it's just beautiful. such a lovely, lovely study. Um, and, and again, it's, you, you're, you're having to to tell the whole story with no accompaniment. You are soloist and accompanist at the same time. 
it's really it's beautiful and it's it's great because I would I would thumb through those method books and try mm. to find the prettier ones. Yes. But now you've transcribed this one, you've put it in a great key, and oh my students love it and they're so excited because they're getting to play something from Botticini's. You know, some of my students aren't quite ready for the concerto mm. or even the elegy can be a stretch for some of them, and it's not that's not saying anything bad about them. It's just they're not ready for it yet. Mm. Um, but this makes them feel like they haven't missed out. Exactly. And I love it. It's great. And it the key that you put it in, they just have to go a little bit into the lower parts of thumb position and then they're out so it's not too scary for them. What key um, did I put it into? I can't remember. That's what I have to remember. It'll come to me in a moment. It really will. <laughs> I, I think I did the same with an adult lotter study. Yes, you did. And again, yes. in the, the his method book, Practical Tutor, it's quite low down. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I put it up a sixth. I think it went from A minor to F sharp minor. Yeah. Um, and it's just to, to prove that you can still play an F sharp minor or F sharp major or any of these keys. And it works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So this is in, what's it in now? D minor. It's beautiful. It's number 14 in your bass clef unaccompanied solos book one. Right. Oh, I'll have a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's great oh i love it it's really it's really lovely um and the lotter i've played in both keys mm. and i like your transcription of that i think it, it lies really i'm going to put a book together of, of studies from his method because it, it, it's sort of fallen by the wayside i wrote a blog the other day about him and uh, and I, I i bought a part of his collection um mm, yeah, that's yeah, right i don't know 60 years 70 years and um, so I, I got the medals and manuscripts and photographs and things. And he, he was important in his day, even though he's, he's sort of forgotten now. Um, so Aren't yeah, there I'm, a lot of people like that? I think hmm. we should do another podcast on the important people that we've forgotten. Yes. But I think, we're, you know, no, Cherney and Lotter. Hmm. I think there's a bunch of them. Yeah, we should. I think that would be a really good idea. But Botticini yeah. has survived because it's great music. It's great music, and and I think because he he knew how to play the bass, mm. he also knew how to write operas, yes. so he really understood singing. And I think he, of all the composers of his time and beyond, really got the bass to sing in a way that the audiences love and are surprised by. But he was the first one. It was amazing, really, because everybody else in Central Europe was still writing scales and arpeggios. Yeah. Little yeah. bits in little tunes in harmonics and a few double stops and whatever. Right. And then right. suddenly Botticini was making the bass sing. He, yes. I wonder where he got that from. Well, didn't they call him Paganini of the double bass? They did. They did. So but... maybe just the fact that he had this innate technical capacity. Mm. He could play the bass, just physically play it so well. It opened up the doors for him to maybe. be more musical. A friend of his, uh, Luigi Arditi, a violinist, mm. um, he said that I think Botticini graduated early. I think he left two years early from the Milan Conservatoire. And he said when he, he left, he was as good then as he ever was. He said the only thing he gained was experience. Wow. Experience is good. Yeah, not bad, is it? <laughs> not bad at all. Oh. Well, this is such a fun topic. I could talk about Botticini for days. I know I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this is great. And thank you for suggesting this topic. Right. I think it's great. Well, he, he's at the heart. Botticini is still at the heart of everything we we teach and play, really, which is 
is fantastic. And I, I'm sure always will be. I, I can't believe this will ever go out of fashion. No, I don't think so. The music is just so beautiful. It seems so timeless. Yeah, um, and it's nice now to create new editions. It's it suddenly, is. Um, it's now possible to find all Bottasini's music available and in all the different tunings. I think it's less overwhelming too for people to see it, you know, not in little tiny handwritten manuscript yes. and then having, I don't mind transposing by an octave, but it's a lot for some people. And so to have it printed cleanly, mm. exactly where it needs to be played, I think that's going to make it even more accessible to more people, which is good. Yeah, I've enjoyed creating lots of new editions. I've still got quite a few pieces still to go. I think Bolero is next, and that's next on my list. Okay, so we're um, relying on you. <laughs> well, you don't have to, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening to Bass Talk with Hagen and Hayes. We hope you join us at our next episode. And thank you to our sponsors. Oh, we don't have any. Would you like to be our sponsor? Let us know. You can reach out to us. And thank you. We can't wait to talk to you again for our next episode. Stay well. Bye.